Thank you very much for allowing us all to be here with you tonight, today, not tonight, tonight too, but today, so far. And I uh, hope you'll be able to stick with my Polish accent for, for a while. It won't disturb you, from, disturb you from reading and hearing from God rather than myself. Let me pray for us and we'll dive into God's word. Father, uh, just like we were singing today, in the beginning was the word and, and, and in Jesus, the word became flesh. We realized better who you are and, and not, just, not just that, but we realized what you did for us. And today we are here because uh, your word gives us um, a better understanding of who you are, what you expect from us, how you love us, and uh, how your grace overflows in our lives. Father, I pray that as we listen to your word, that you will take everything that may be, dis um, may be disturbing, may be distracting us from your word, that, that we would hear uh, your Holy Spirit in our hearts, opening these words for us today as we read them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How can you not see it? A wife was staring at her husband. You cannot treat me this way any longer. Everybody except you can see that you don't speak like that to people. It's just rude. The husband looked bewildered. How can you not see it? A man was scowling at his friend. You do not tell others in public what I said to you in private. I tell you the secrets of my heart and you make mockery of it by talking about it as if it were a joke. The friend walked away with a shrug of his shoulders. How can you not see it? A daughter was glaring at her father. You cared for everyone and everything in life but me. You saw to all that was important to you, but I was never on that list. You never really loved me. She yelled in despair. And the father shook his head with indignation. How can you not see it? This question echoes in our lives. So many times we, we look and we do not see. We don't see things in the way they truly are. When what seems obvious for some of us doesn't seem so obvious for the others. Oftentimes we look, but we cannot see, or we see, but we don't understand what we see. As if somebody put special glasses with, with a filter on it that distorts the reality we're looking at. So, the husband from our story, he looks and all he sees is, sees is something that his friends at work call oversensitive. That's what she seems, making a mountain out of a molehill. He can never quite notice the sharp edge of his own words that cut like a knife. And the friend cannot see the heartache of a betrayed secret because he seldom looks into the depths of his own heart. What you see is what you got. That's, what, that, that, that's his motto, and that's how he goes through life. And it seems like his friend just worries too much. 
you can't see why some things are better left unspoken. And the father looks over his calendar and, and he sees countless hours spent to give his daughter what she needs. After all sentiments, you don't pay bills, do you? He says. No need for all the drama. Just, just stop. But then, then he only sees what matters only to him. It is strange how we often stare blindly looking but not seeing. We're like people who are eyes wide shut. And we are plugged, each one of us is probably in a, some shape or form, plugged by, by our blind, blind spots. When looking from our perspective, we cannot see what seems obvious to others. We look, but there is not enough evidence to convince us that we should notice something that is happening all along. We need to see, we need to see it, to believe it. And we need evidence for the verdict. So we make it through life, but often not seeing things that seem to be in plain sight. And failing to see very often deforms our marriages, distorts our friendships, uh, and destroys our relationships. And it could lead to trouble not to see what is in our blind spot. But it could lead to a tragedy to fail to see what God sees or to fail to see God himself. That's a tragedy. And yet this chronic blindness seems to be a problem, not just for us, but it has been a problem of people, the crowds of people who were following Jesus since the very first day of his mission. And at least there is a story, uh, a story that John, one of Jesus' best friends and one of his closest disciples, he, he wanted us to read and he, in, in a way, tries to put some theological glasses on our noses so that we could see the reality for what it really is, so that we could see God for who he really is. Long after life loses sight of us. So we read in John chapter 4 that after the two days, he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they, had, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. At the first glance, this text seems like full of contradictions. Because on, on one hand, we read about Jesus taking, going towards Galilee, and at the same time, we read that he knew that nobody is a prophet in his own hometown. And Jesus came from Galilee. So why was he, what, what, what are we reading about? What is this text really about? Is he going there not knowing? Or is he going there knowing why he's going there? He knows that no prophet has honor in his own homeland and still hometown. And still he's moving there. 
to better understand that part of scripture, we need to back up a little bit and go um, go to, 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 the, to the end of chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. When we read about Jesus, right after the first miracle, he performed in Cana and Galilee. And then he moves to Jerusalem for the Passover feast that we have just read about. And in Jerusalem, Jesus performs signs and wonders, signs and miracles. And when this happens, we read that many people believed in his name when they saw the things he performed. But we read right in the next sentence that Jesus didn't trust anyone because he knew everyone. He didn't trust people who were believing or who were believing in him based on the signs and wonders that he made. And among these many people were our Galileans that we read about in chapter 4. So when the Passover feasts, uh, after the Passover feast, Jesus makes his way up north to his, uh, to, to his hometown, to Galilee, and he becomes more and more popular in Judea. And as the number of his disciples grows, he goes back up to the Galilee. He goes up north, and as, in order to go to Galilee, he needs to pass through Samaria. And Samaria was the place where Samaritans lived, people who were despised by the Jews, because they were half Jews, half Gentiles. And Jewish people didn't like to have anything to do with any mixture of any kind of people, even if part of that kind was Jewish blood. But Jesus makes his way through Samaria, and as we read in chapter 4 earlier, we see that he meets a woman at the well. He tells her things that she, she knows nobody should know, and then after that conversation, she just runs to the village and tells everybody about the man she met. And people come, start talking to Jesus, and Jesus talks to them, and we read that, that she believed in him, and many people believed in him, believed in his word. Though there is no mention of Jesus performing any sign or miracle in that area. And they begged him to stay and begged him to stay. And he finally decides to stay for two more days. And after these two days, Jesus set out, sets out for, for Galilee. So... When Jesus comes to, back to Galilee, he's welcomed by the people who saw him in Jerusalem during Passover performing miracles. But he doesn't trust them because he understands that their faith in him and warm welcome are very superficial, are based on, not on his word, like Samaritans who believed in his word without any signs and wonders. But he knows they believe, Galileans believed in him because he performed many signs and miracles. So they truly believed not so much in him, not so much in who he is, but much more into what he does, what he can do for them. So we could read in this context, we could read the same sentence one more time, but that, this time it would probably mean something like when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him only because 
they have seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So we should ask a natural question here. If Jesus knew that people had faith in him because of the signs and wonders, signs and miracles that he performed, why did he do them? Why did he heal people? Why did he perform all of these miracles if he knew that people will look at him through those miracles and not really for who he is? Doesn't mean that it's wrong when we base our life, we start believing in Jesus because of something he has done for us before we believed. I don't think so. I think that sometimes you have to see what Jesus has done to believe in him. It's like when we struggle with a difficult situation in our marriage. And we never really prayed to God. God was kind of on his side for us. Never really cared. And there comes a moment when we realize that we've gone to the counseling, we've gone to our friends, nothing works, no counsel works. And at a certain moment in our life, we just stop and maybe somewhere in our car, driving madly after another fight with our wife or our husband. We've never prayed to God, but this time we say, God, please, if you exist, if you're somewhere there, please do something to save my marriage. Because if you, if you, don't, do, if you, if you don't do this, I'm walking away, I can't. I can't take it anymore. Or this moment when we hear about some of our close relative being sick. And we know that this is a very bad sickness, not cough. It's not like we have, somebody has a cold, it's much more serious. And we've never prayed to God, but this moment when we're standing there in a hospital, and we know that behind these doors, there's a close person of ours and he's there fighting for his life. We're standing there, and we've never done this before. We haven't cared much about God. But in this particular moment, all we know is, God, if you exist, please, please bring this person back to life. And nobody has to convince us about God's presence. We are not really sure if he exists or not, but we'd rather pray to him because there might be something he can do and maybe he truly exists. And when that happens, when he does this for us, we come to faith. We're like, he was sick, but then he was healed and it didn't happen just to the doctors, but something supernatural happens that even the doctors could not explain. And this may be the first step in our journey of faith in this context. Or when we stand in front of big decision, a big challenge, let it be the school we're going to, let it be the university we have to choose, let it be the work that we are trying to get and we believe this is a golden opportunity, we believe that this is something, if we just take this, if we go through these doors, we'll be able to thrive. So we've never prayed before but this time we're going down our knees and we pray and we say, God, there's a million reasons why I could not, why I should not go to the school. There's a million reasons why I can't afford that school. 
But God, you know, and I know, if you exist, then you know better than I do that this school or this job could be an amazing opportunity for me to just grow and thrive. And, and when that happens, you realize that it must have been God who opened these doors for you. You start believing in him, believing in him. And just like the Galileans welcomed Jesus because they saw his miracles during Passover, so have many of us turned to God. Probably many in this room, uh, at least some of us in this room, have turned to God because we've experienced him and his presence and maybe even experienced something supernatural in difficult circumstances in our lives. And we've seen and we've believed. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there are two problems with this kind of faith. First, such faith can often be very superficial. It's based on our own personal experiences. And in the light of other difficulties, it just simply may not stand. Because we are like this child who once got a candy and now he's not getting a candy. So he gets angry and throws a fit saying, if you don't give me a candy, I will not play with you anymore. Because we remember that once upon a time there was this moment when we were given the candy and why shouldn't we be given the candy right now when we're asking about the same thing? There was a time when somebody from our family was healed. Why, why God could heal that person and he cannot heal my child? Why did God open these doors for me and he cannot open these doors now for my wife? Why did he save our marriage? It seems like it's not happening in another marriage of our friends that are so close to us. Second, this kind of faith demands more signs and miracles to actually exist. It demands more and more signs and miracles to simply exist, as if we were addicted to these signs from God to believe at all. We, we demand God's supernatural presence to believe in him, and when nothing like that happens, we feel disappointed, disappointed by God. Oftentimes it turns out that we believe not in God, but in God's works, not in who God truly is, but what he has done or what he can do for us. And it's a different kind of faith. But according to the scriptures, this kind of faith doesn't save. Because John himself wrote at the end of his gospel, where he recorded all these signs and miracles. He said that these signs were recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That you may believe in the name of Jesus, that you may believe in the person of Jesus and not necessarily in what Jesus can do for you. And that leads us to the next story. We read that at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Have you ever been in a situation that required just immediate 
determination. Maybe, maybe somebody close to you just got to the hospital and was diagnosed with cancer, tumor, and you knew that in that moment, it didn't matter how much money you had in the bank, how many people we knew, whom you knew, whom you didn't know, you, was, you were able to move heavens and earth to just work it out, to make sure that this person gets the best treatment, gets the best attention, and you, can, you could take a loan, you could send, sell everything you had, or when you tried, it was in a car accident, you get a phone call in the middle of the day, it didn't matter what kind of sale you were making on that day, it didn't matter where you were in discussion with your friends or, or, or at work, what kind of talk about promotion you were having on that day. You just rushed out of that room and you moved heaven and earth to help your child because you knew if it's not you, that nobody else can do it. And so is this official. We should not be surprised that we see a man who rushes to help his own child. What may be surprising is the fact that he is the king's official. So he usually has people come to him. He orders people to be brought to him. And they are being brought to him. But this time, he decides to go himself. And he sets out for a 30-mile journey. So it's like a one-day one, one journey of that time. People could travel for up to 30 miles. So he decides to go from Capernaum to Cana in Galilee. And he goes for like these eight hours or so and finally gets to Jesus, he humiliates himself. He could have Jesus brought over, but no, he's there himself. Why? Every parent knows why. Because there is nobody in the world that can care for our children more than we do. Nobody. And even if he knew that right there in that minute, as he's walking towards Jesus, every single minute, maybe the last minute of the life of his child, he still thinks it's the best to go himself and to ask this Jesus whom he heard about to ask him personally believing that maybe when Jesus sees him and his, his, his desire for his son to be heal, healed he's just going to come and heal this son but instead of that what he gets is unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe what kind of answer is that? I mean, really. If we can put ourselves in the shoes of that man, can you believe? Can you imagine yourself being after such a long walk and humiliating yourself, you as the king's official? And there's Jesus, he's looking at you and saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, that's why I came here, because I want to see a sign and wonder I believe that you can make it, maybe. I just want to check it myself. But he was not talking only to this official. In fact, when we read the scriptures in the original language, this is you in plural. 
So Jesus is not really talking just to him, but he's talking to all the other people that surround, must have been surrounding this man. All these Galileans who once saw him performing miracles at the feast, at the Passover feast in Jerusalem, who are right now in that place, and they brought this man, they showed him the way, so they are probably standing next to this man, waiting for Jesus to perform a miracle, and Jesus looks at them and he, as if he, like he knows what is in their minds, what they're waiting for, and he says, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe, right? This is who you are. You expect me to do something supernatural, and then you will believe in who I am. Uh-uh. You believe more in what I do than who I am. But the official seems not, seems like he's not listening. And we can understand why. He's determined. He knows that every single minute, with every single minute that passes by, the life of his son is shortening and shortening and shortening. So he doesn't wait for courtesy words. He just there and he begs Jesus by saying, Sir, I'm the king's official and you're a rabbi walking around. Nobody knows who you truly are, but I will call you Sir, I will humiliate myself and will call you sir and will say, Sir, come down before my child dies. As if, as if he was afraid that his son may die soon and Jesus may not do anything about it. Don't judge him. We probably would be doing exactly the same thing. But Jesus decides to take his faith to a completely new level. And he says to him, go, go, your son will live. And we read in the next sentence something that is powerful to understand that story and how that story is still present in our lives. What it teaches us today, we read that the man Believed the miracles? No. The signs and wonders? No. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Sometimes you have to see what Jesus has done to believe in him. It happens. But sometimes or oftentimes, or most of the time, you have to believe in Jesus to see what he will do. Because in order to believe in what somebody tells you, you have to believe in that person. So to believe in Jesus' words, you have to believe in him. You have to stake your life on him without knowing what's going to happen. And that is sometimes scary, very scary. A couple years ago, there was a woman in our church, we just barely started. It was one of the first people who, um, who, were, who, were, who, was, who were interested, one of the first people who was interested in, in like what Jesus is and we started talking with her and he, she was very open to get baptized. So we met and we started explaining the gospel to her and 
It turned out that she was in a weird relationship, inappropriate relationship. She was uh, in her more than mid-30s. And she was also, not only that, but she was also diagnosed with a disease that is very rare among people in the world, among women. She just couldn't have kids and because of something in her body. And she knew that she will never have children. She was sitting there in my, uh, we we're sitting there together talking. And just not just being in her 30s, in our culture, probably like in your culture, it kind of starts diminishing your opportunity to finally find a husband. And she was with this man who didn't know Jesus. He was a good man, but he just didn't, didn't know Jesus and didn't care much about Jesus. He was a moral person, but he didn't care. And then this disease, she felt like she will be, she will never have children. So that means that also diminished her possibilities of getting married. And she wanted to be married so much. So we're sitting there, we're talking, and I remember it was one of my first conversations in our church with a young pastor. She was older than me, and I said, um, so afraid to, to say something. But I told her, I said, Edita, you have no idea what God can do in your life when you just do the right thing. I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but you have no idea how God can work in your life if you just allow him to do it. And if you put your life totally on him, trusting that he has somebody better for you than a guy who doesn't care about Jesus and you want to care about Jesus with your life. So she, she believed. Two days later, she came to me and she said, so I'm single now again. A couple years passed and she was the first person we married in our new church building. And she, goes, she got married to a man who was my friend and my coworker from the ministry, a believer, strong in his faith, great guy. And they still don't have children. They were praying about it, they were thinking about it, but they still don't have children. I wish I could tell you, God healed her and she is now a mother of a child or two. She's not. But that God gave them 30 plus children in the after school program that both of them are so passionate about. Children who have no real parents or parents who don't really care about them. And they have become parents to these children like no one else, no one, none of us could ever be a parent to these children. They love them and they can do a lot of things for them and with them. And they have become parents to spiritual parents to hundreds of children who come to our camps when Robert is one of the best camp directors for children's camp ever. And she supports him. And as they go together, they see children coming to know Christ at the camp that they're leading. They do not have children on their own, but God came through and showed them a bigger, bigger picture because she believed in what she couldn't see. And when she believed in who Jesus is and, and she stoked her life on him, he showed her what only he could do and she saw what she could not see without faith. And that's the most important part of the story. A determined father who heard about Jesus comes to him and begs him, will you come with me so that I can trust you? 
And Jesus says, will you trust me to go? Will you trust me so that you can go? Trust me first, and then you will see. And this is a deeper level of faith, that faith that saves and helps us to stand in difficult moments and circumstances when life loses sight of you and the reality around you seems to deny God's presence. When a child's illness, loneliness, unemployment, failed or failing marriage, death of a close relative, distorts the way we look at the world through the eyes of faith and our faith demands a verdict demands signs and miracles to confirm God's presence in our lives. And unfortunately, in moments like this, like these, we tend to look at Jesus as a modern version of a genie in a bottle who's supposed to give us, get us a better life and better health and better job just the way we want it, just because we want it, just the way we want it. We want to see great, spectacular things and Jesus says to us, no, I'm not going to do that. First, I need you to follow me, follow my word, and then you will see things that you just cannot see right now without faith. So as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to better. He asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which is 1 p.m., the fever left him, and the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in his household. By reading the story, we rejoice with the father and his household. We rejoice over the fact that his son was healed. We rejoice over the fact that Jesus is powerful and faithful to his word. But most importantly, we rejoice over the man, this man's faith when he set out to go back home, believing that what Jesus said is true and is going to happen, although the reality was so much against him. And though sometimes in our lives, God decides to act differently than we would prefer. It is our faith in who he is that allows us to see things from God's perspective and never, ever give up. So, if you believe in what Jesus says because of who he is, you will see things that only God, God himself, can do. 27 years ago, there was a couple, Maui and Eva Dvulat, a young couple who saw the opportunity in, the, in Poland, Poland's reality that was just opening to democracy, reality to go and preach the gospel to young generation. They took seriously words of Jesus who spoke to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, and, and he, they took it seriously. So they saw an opportunity, how to do that, where do we start? And they started Christian camps, one camp. It all started with one youth camp, one summer, summer of 1990. And then as years were passing by, they started doing more and more camps. And, and all of us today who are from prime leadership uh, team, we either came to Christ because of these camps or we, this, was, this was our first ministry opportunity where we could lead 
children, we lead young people to Jesus at those camps. So we started doing children's camps and youth camps and, and, and uh, basketball camps and mission camps. And then after 10 years of doing these camps and renting facilities all over Poland, we said, God, we truly need a place, a permanent location. And we thought it was going to be somewhere up northeast, close to Warsaw. We were situated in Warsaw. We had our families in Warsaw. We had our offices in Warsaw. We, thought we had our friends in Warsaw. We had our lives in Warsaw. And we thought this must be somewhere close so that we can commute back and forth. But nothing was happening. And at a certain time, the message came to us that there is a place. We were looking northeast. And there was a place southwest for us, 70 miles away from Warsaw, and that we was ready to purchase. And with help of friends and partners in ministry, we purchased this property. But when we did that, our friends came to us and said, hey, you gotta be kidding me. Are you out of your mind? You're going from Warsaw to the village, not even a village, to the forest. You will be living in the woods. Do you know what that means? You are a people of potential. You can do so much here in Warsaw. You already have a place in ministry. You can do so much. Why are you going to that forest? What for? Stay here where you are. But we moved. Not, I'm not going to be lying. We were, some of us were scared to move there. Not because of the animals, but because of the... <laughs> the the reality of living in such a place and little did we know then out of this camp there will be a school 10 miles away from that camp that we will start school christian school in which 350 students will be learning about jesus 85 percent of them coming from non-christian or non-evangelical families a little did we know at that time that there will be a church that God will allow us to plant in the city of 70,000 people with hardly any gospel presence and with small, small Pentecostal preaching point and zero evangelical believers. And we're going to have a church where people will come to faith to Christ, come to faith, come to Christ, and will be baptized in the name of Jesus. And little did we know that children, that people who told us we should not move out of Warsaw and we should stay where we were, Little did we know that they will be sending their children to our camps where these children will hear about Jesus and will become believers. Little did we know that, but God was faithful. And we, God was faithful, but what was required from us was to believe that he is who he is. And if he's leading us a certain way, he's not going to abandon us. We stuck with his word. And we just wanted to do it. And there were difficult times, difficult years in the beginning. But then God started growing and growing us and the ministry. And it's a privilege to be a part of it. So when that happens, when you trust God and his word, and you see things that only God can do, that may be hard to understand by your friends. But in this moment... You, you will be the one who will ask them with a tone of surprise in your voice. How can you not see it? 